and to, to learn and, uh, and to remind ourselves of things that we already know. Simple truths from the Bible uh, about parables and accounts in the scriptures that we know, we've heard it, uh, you know, we've, we've taught it, um, but now we're reminding ourselves of something that God wants us to know. Let's please go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, creator and sustainer of all life, we praise your holy divine name and thank you. Hallowed be your great and amazing name. We ask, Lord God, that you'll bless us through our studies tonight, that you'll guide us into all truth, that you'll bless us, Lord God, as we're able to join one another in fellowship. Though we're distant, yet we are together in spirit. We pray for the sick and the struggling. We pray, Lord God, that you would just help each of us in our, our place that we're in right now to be able to focus on your word and to glean from the teachings that we find uh, in your scriptures. Thank you for all that you've done and for all that you do and for all that you will do. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee if it be thy will. Amen. So Acts chapter 15, and let's skip all the way down to verse 30, and then, and then we'll, we'll come back to verse 29. We're going to focus a lot on, on verse, um, a thought from verse 29. But verse 30 is an interesting verse because it goes into, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. So you see the problem, right? The problem is what about, what about me? So I want to talk about that just a little bit tonight as, uh, as Christians. We're going to go to Acts chapter 7. Why don't we as God's children, as Christians, uh, receive some type of special treatment for doing what is right? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I've heard that before, echoed. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, I've thought about it myself. You know, well, wow, it's interesting that as Christians there's this persecution or or this struggle. And one of the things that's different about Christians than uh, the world is that at least in Christ, we find sorrow in our heart for sin. You know, we don't want to sin. Uh, we don't want to relish in sin. We want to stay away from it. And thank God for that. But then the question, don't we get some kind of special treatment for that? Not just speaking of heaven, but just right here while we're on the earth. So Stephen, uh, in his sermon, uh, he goes to say in verse 52 of Acts chapter 7, he goes on to say, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, who, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. So the question there is, well, why wouldn't God protect the prophets in a way unlike the rest of the world? Why should men have the right, in their own mind, if you will, about the right to persecute godly men who are coming to bring forth a message from the Lord? Why isn't there some kind of special protection or treatment? Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9. He says, For I think... God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. A spectacle 
Why should Christians be punished with the world? Why why are we not receiving some kind of, of, of reward for what we are doing? We don't live the way the world lives. So why should we be punished? My brother, the prodigal elder brother, says, in essence, my brother did everything wrong. I mean, he did it. He, he did it all, right? And from what I can see, he's gotten away with everything. Why isn't he cursed? for doing all the wrong things. So he says in verse 30, this son of yours has come back. He's wasted all of your resources, our resources, if you will, um, living with women in an ungodly way. And you kill the fattened calf for him? So to the elder brother, it just doesn't make sense. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And if we look at life from an improper perspective or an improper view or vantage point, uh, life doesn't seem fair to be a Christian. I mean, why not just live in the world and and have um, all the fun the world has and uh, live a life of enjoyment and, and all the things that come with it uh, and then that's the enjoyment of sin. If you're not going to get punished for it, right? And if there's no reward, if there's no special treatment for being a Christian, why slave, as the older brother would say, why slave in the field all day for the Father when those who have not slaved for the Father seem to have just as much enjoyment in life? Ecclesiastes chapter 8 I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear Him openly, but it will not be well for the evil man. and He will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. So Solomon says, you know, regardless of what we might see or possibly what we might think about a wicked man, it is still far better to serve God than to live a life of wickedness and evil. He also says, because we watch wickedness go on and we don't see justice, uh, we don't see justice in, in many occasions, but we don't see justice happening quickly. The next man just goes and does it himself because nothing's gonna happen, right? The questions about life, Romans, Romans chapter three, the questions about life that we ask God in our, our contemplative thought, we're saying, God, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Uh, it's kind of like Job. When you read the book of Job, Job, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, on one hand, you, you see wickedness happen, and then it looks like nothing is really happening. 
to the wicked person. But the righteous person, it looks like they're the only ones that are suffering. That's what it looks like. Well, I think that the problem that starts out this line of thinking is the way we think. Because we look at life from a human perspective and we say, well, why are all these good, righteous people, Christian, why are they suffering? The older son said, I've done everything right and my brother has done everything wrong. Why don't I receive some kind of special treatment? And I think we're fair to God and we're fair to humanity if we're fair to ourselves, we'll have to conclude what Romans 3 and verse 10 tells us. And there it says, uh, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. So when we step back from the phase of questioning God and we restate the question in a different way, recognizing that everything's about God's grace and mercy, we realize we really cannot make the statement Why do good people suffer with bad people? We have to honestly say to the creator of the universe, why do people suffer? Another way of asking the question might be, why is it that people who are followers of God, some better and some a little little less, why do those people suffer along with people who have no desire to follow God? That might be a fair question. Isaiah 55, please. Isaiah chapter 55. You know, a person that's following God, not perfectly, and, and willing to admit that we have shortcomings, but, you know, as a, as a church, as a body of believers, as a lovers of God, uh, in our in our service to Him, we see this on a regular basis, that people who are following God and trying to do good things and right things do suffer with people who have no desire to even know God. And sometimes that question comes into our minds, and it's why, why does this happen? Isaiah 55, verse 6. I want to challenge the difference in the way that we think and the way the difference between us and between the way God thinks. So look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So here's what God does. God thinks universally at all times, even in eternity. On a human level, God thinks globally. But see, we are finite and so we can only think in small ways because we're in a small world, right? We can only tell you what we've seen and heard, but we haven't heard the whole story, nor have we seen the whole picture. And so God looks to save every single individual soul of every single nation, 
tribe, and tongue at all times. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, when's the last time uh, that you have met an Aborigine from Australia? I mean, you know, or, or someone that lives in some island where we, you pull up to the island, you didn't even know people lived there. Like Columbus came to America, he didn't even know people lived, they lived here already. And, and so we, we're, we're very finite in our thinking. So when we think finitely the way that we do, we understand that we, we can't understand what it takes to be God. Right? So I want to show you something. Genesis chapter, um, 41. I want to show you thinking globally as opposed to thinking Finitely, just thinking in our small little world. Now in Genesis chapter 41, over in verse uh, 53, I want to show you one of the things about God saving the whole world, but no one in Egypt is where we are. No one in Egypt is thinking about other people in the world. They're all suffering and struggling through this famine. So in verse 53, uh, the Bible says, when does, am I in the right place? Let me see. Yep. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was a famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the bread of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, you shall do. So that's a pretty good thing, right? All right, go to Joseph, and Joseph will take care of everyone in Egypt. But let's continue reading. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Now, the whole world is is accountable and coming to Egypt, getting to know this Hebrew, Joseph, and he's in charge, the second man in charge in Egypt. And they're all now coming to hear the message. There's a message. There's a message. And the message doesn't really come through until after this Pharaoh dies and then another Pharaoh uh, lives and then they're released, right, into uh, crossing the Red Sea. Now I want to go to Exodus chapter 12. But before the whole world that are now subject to, to Egypt, now the whole world knows about Joseph and the God of Joseph and that Egypt has grain because of Joseph and the God of Joseph. Here's what, ha- what happens that's very, very interesting. In verse 37, Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. And a mixed multitude also went up with them, along with the flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. So here God, thinking globally, brings the whole known world that time to Egypt, teaches the whole known world about God and who he is. Then a mixed multitude leave Egypt together, and they go, they journey to another, a distant land, trusting in and depending on the one true God. God thinks globally, not us. Pharaoh was not looking at a way to save the whole world. Pharaoh was excited that Joseph was there and he could save Egypt. And so we don't think the way that God thinks, and we cannot because we're not, it's not possible 
for us too. I want to turn to uh, Psalm chapter 40 because we don't understand what it means to think globally from a perspective that God gives us. And so instead of asking the question, you know, why do good people suffer? Why do people who are striving to do God's will suffer along with the world? It's because globally, God moves the world to action to save each and every individual that's willing and ready to be saved. Think about what events took place in your life where someone brought the gospel to you. If you were, uh, if your family, you didn't grow up going to worship and, uh, and assembling with the saints. Um, but even if you have, sometimes someone brought the word of God to you and it took things to make your paths cross with this individual. Okay. And God does that. God is make, God always makes a way even where there is no way. God thinks globally. Psalm chapter 40, verse 5. The Bible says there, I'm going to start at verse 4, excuse me. How blessed is a man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those whose laps into falsehood. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which thou hast done and thy thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sometimes I think that as as humans, we forget the global thought process of God. We forget that the ways of God are absolutely amazing. And when we look at life and we think about a pandemic like we're in right now, let's turn to Romans chapter 11. In this pandemic, think about what is happening that hasn't happened in maybe our lifetime or we haven't seen this since 9-11 where the world is coming together and they're looking to whom? They're looking to God. Now, isn't that a blessing? Even though I know we're suffering with the world, but here is this opportunity where the world hasn't done this for a long time at least in America, looking to God, right? 9-11 for us, but now this pandemic for the whole world. God is thinking globally. So the question is, are we doing our part now, knowing that God is using an opportunity here to help us to reach out to those who are lost, who are hurting, whose hope is here. They have no other hope, but right, everything here in their possession is all they have. And we can show them of something even better and something different, right? So, Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, thinking about God uh, and his global thought. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. So now, question. So why did God give us a parable? <laughs> He's trying to prick our hearts, right? We're reading this parable and the parable is a is a, a real life story, right? That's that's disguised as a story to penetrate our hearts, because we're talking about the prodigal today, and and this story was this event was given, this parable was given almost two thousand over two thousand years ago, right? And it's pricking our hearts today as it pricked the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees. So in essence, we sometimes find ourselves turn back to Luke chapter fifteen we find ourselves sometimes viewing life like the prodigal, thinking this very thought. Verse 29. Lord, 
look, for so many years I've been a Christian and I've been serving you. And God, I've never neglected a command of yours. And God, you've, you've, you've never given me any special treatment. Right? I mean, I know we would never actually say that, but isn't that the way sometimes, sometimes Christians think? We think, you know, I'm doing everything right. May I ask, is that true? I think all of us would have to say, mm, no, it's, it's not true. John, John, John chapter, chapter 8, John chapter 8 and verse, verse 4, it's not true. I mean, I know I find myself trying, I really try to do everything right. But I, it, it's, it's, just ask my wife. <laughs> no, I don't. Always in trouble. John 8 verse 4. They, I'm in trouble right now for mentioning her name too, by the way. See? <laughs> John 8 verse 4. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, was she caught? Yeah. She was caught in adultery in the very act. But you know the problem, right? You can't commit adultery by yourself. <laughs> Where is the man? <laughs> oh, there is no man, right? Maybe he was in the crowd. Maybe he's one of the ones bringing the woman <laughs> to Jesus. I mean, we don't know that. But anyway, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. And what do you say? So now here's, the, here's the question. Have you done everything right? Verse 6. And they were saying this, testing him, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. No, hadn't done everything right. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And so... The, from the oldest to the youngest, they all walked away. Because in all honesty, you and I know that we have not always given God our absolute 100%. We try, we think about it, we even focus on it, but we don't always give God our 100%. So can I say to God, God, why am I a righteous person? A follower of yours. Why am I suffering with the ungodly? And then God would respond and say, Really, Tony? Have you done it all right? Do you have it all together? And I would say, No, Lord. No, Lord, I do not. Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. And after that, he went out and noticed a tax gatherer named Levi sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. It's interesting to me every time I read passages like this that the Pharisees are always there. You know, they condemn him for being there, but I'm like, why are you there? You know, it's like, it's like the man that went out one night and, and to get, uh, uh, something for his child who was sick and he needed some milk. And so the only place that was open was a bar and he went to the bar and he came back and, uh, I think on Sunday morning the, the church accused him of going to a bar and being uh, a sinner. And then his question was, well, I know why I was at the bar, but why were you at the bar? How did you know I was there? <laughs> right? And so, so here the Pharisees, they always have an accusation against Jesus, but they're always there too. So it's like, why are you here? And, and, okay, so the problem is, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So let's think for just a moment about our mindset, right, when it comes to the relationship between humanity and God. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 17, and let's look at verse 9 and verse 10. And this is important because when we get, when we leave this older brother, this elder brother, I, you know, I'm hoping that, that as, as I've gleaned information about myself, that you've gleaned information about yourself. And the only way you can do that is we have to individually humble ourselves and say, you know what? I've got to be honest. I've done that once or twice myself. I'm not proud of it, but I've done that a time or two myself. Verse 9. Even the younger brother as well. Verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the result of his deeds. I wonder, I wonder how many tests I have failed. You ever wondered that? You ever thought that for a moment? We don't like the idea of losing or failing, but have you ever wondered or thought about how many tests have come your way? Um, let's turn to Genesis chapter 8, where, where God was going to use you as a vessel of honor to, you know, for whatever reason, and you didn't, I didn't show up. I was supposed to be there, but I didn't show up because I was too busy doing something. I wonder how many tests from God I've failed. Genesis 8 and verse 20. Noah failed, didn't he? I mean, he was a man of righteousness in his time, right? And that was reckoned unto him by the grace and mercy of God. And, and the flood is over and Noah gets, and Noah comes off the ark and he gets drunk. Down to verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. What what did God say about man's heart? For the intent of man's heart heart is evil from his youth. Not me, being the older brother, right? Not me, not my heart. Yes, even me. So the problem is, if I feel in my heart that I'm a good person, like the older brother, 
I feel like I'm a good person. Remember, I'm comparing myself to God. If I feel as though I'm a good person, will I really, utterly depend upon God for, you know, his help, his protection, for uh, the breath of life? Will I obey God unconditionally if I feel like I'm a good person? Or will I be that guy that says, you know, I work hard for my job, my boss. I'm here all the time. Today, I'm just going to slide a little bit. You know, they can't say anything to me because look at all of my good works. When I say to God, well, you know, Lord, I'm a good person. And so I'm going to slide a little bit. And Lord, you should be able to accept that because, you know, after all, I am a pretty good person. Well, think about that for just a moment. If I'm a good person, then I have rights. Right? When it comes to God, I say, God, you know, um, it, I understand I'm saved by grace, but in reality, though it's your grace, I've done everything right. So, from a good person, I don't have that, that same mentality that God wants me to have where I humble myself and I beat my breast and I realize that I'm, I'm being justified by God. And that's why I'm a good person. Because in the eyes of God, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses my soul. And that's why I'm a good person. Not because of my deeds of righteousness. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Whenever we justify ourselves, it becomes very, very hard to hear the voice of God. You know, when I... When I justify myself, when I think about, you know, well, you know, I can't believe this happened. And, and I, you know, you, when I do that, I, I really can't hear what's coming back at me. Once I start pointing the finger at everybody else, once I start saying, well, you know, at least I wasn't over there doing what they were. Once you start doing that, everything else just becomes dull in your ears. It's hard to hear the voice of God trying to wake us up. So in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18, uh, the Bible says there, he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Why does he keep doing that? <laughs> why, why does Jesus continue to look to people and say, there are some who justify themselves. And when they justify themselves, I've got to humble them. I'm going to tell them a story, a parable, to try to penetrate their heart. If I don't give them a parable, they're not going to hear me. Chapter 16, Luke 16, verse 15. Actually, verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Oh, but God knows your heart. But they justify themselves, right? So much so to where Jesus in their midst, in this, I mean, think about it now. We go back into the days of Jesus and we're living with him and we're watching him perform miracles. And it's, they're undeniable and they're noteworthy miracles. And because I am justifying myself as being a keeper of the law, I'm a keeper of the law of Moses, we just disregard what we just saw. We, we kind of like if this, when this pandemic ends, 
how many people in the world are, are going to, um, you know, give all the, I, I mentioned this before, I think about a, a month ago, give all the credit to all the, you know, medical science and this and that and how smart we are and how much we really didn't need God after all because we, how many people are going to forget God and go back? Remember 9-11? 9-11, God was, he moved from like number 10 of importance to number 1 for a little while. And then as soon as that little time went away and we were able to forget a little bit, he moved right back down to number 10, right? We just forget. That's probably why Jesus says every week you need to come together and have the Lord's Supper and do this remembrance of me. Because we forget, right? And, and so what God doesn't want us to do as his hearers is he doesn't want us to forget. And he doesn't want us to justify ourselves. Uh, Romans chapter chapter 10. But see, in the, in the account, in the parable, this older brother justified himself. Look at what happens when we really justify ourselves and we, we just, and we, and we do this over and over again. We don't listen to Jesus. Verse one. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they do, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So they established their own righteous standards because they weren't listening to God. So the parable of the older brother, we go back to Luke 15. It shows us a deeper level of being lost. The, the scary part in, in Luke 15 is that the, the older brother, there's two kinds of lostness, right? We can identify with the, you know, running from God. We can identify with the, the younger brother. We, I mean, you know, you can see his sins clearly. But the scary part is the older brother had been become so comfortable um, with justifying himself that he couldn't see his own lostness. He just couldn't see it. I, you know, and what, what's amazing is, uh, you know, I think about um, when we, we, we someone comes to us and says they're they're struggling in their in their life and their spiritual lives, and sometimes we don't want to admit that we're struggling too. We'll give them, we'll offer advice, and we'll try to help fix them without looking into the mirror of self. Because at that very moment, we justify ourselves. We don't want anyone to know what's going on in here, in our heart. Because if people knew really and truly what was going on here, maybe they might see me differently. And who wants to be seen differently from the person or the image that I am portraying? The elder son really struggled with this. It was very easy to point the finger at his younger brother so that he doesn't have to face or confront his own personal lostness. So here's the deeper level of this being lost. Verse 28. He became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began entreating him. Let's think about that for just a moment. Why would he become angry? You remember Cain, right? God says, why are you angry? 
Why would he become angry? Is it because his brother got to go and play and come back and everything's fine? And he didn't get to go with him? I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to put words into his mind or into his, his, into his mouth. But why would he become angry? And not just angry. And by the way, this idea, this word anger is to be filled with a, a higher degree of anger, if you will. This anger wasn't just at his brother. He's also angry at his father. Why would he become angry? The righteous son gets no reward. So he's angry. Because all that he wants is a fattened calf. Throw me a party. Right? Verse 28. Give me a reward for all of my hard work. Uh, verse 28 says, But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came in and began entreating him. Why is he angry? Shouldn't the righteous son have the comfortable life? No. Um, what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Shouldn't the righteous son have um, the easy the easy stuff? Verse 43. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And that's enemies, sorry. In order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven... For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But he's angry. And we can read scriptures like this and understand the scripture, but still find ourselves becoming angry at God. Well, why, why should I get sick? Why do I have to quarantine? Why do I have to this? Or why does this, you know, the wise and the wise and the wise. And, and because we don't understand the, the picture, the global picture of God. And I'm not saying that God caused this pandemic in any way, shape, or form. But what I am saying that in this pandemic, God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him. So the question tonight is, do you recognize the good that God is causing in your life? Through this pandemic. Do you reckon, do you even see it? Or are you stuck in your own lostness? Think about that for just a moment. Do you even recognize saints, Christians? If God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love the Lord, and you cannot see the good that God is causing in your life right now, maybe my eyes are closed. Think about that for just a moment. And so, I'm angry. And so, the brother was angry. He had no joy. There was no joy through this, in his case, self-made suffering, in his case. There was no joy in his heart. Back to Luke 15 in verse 29. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been 
serving you. And have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. You've, you've never thrown a party for me. Next thought. Is that all that it would have taken for him to be happy? Is give him a party? I mean, how shallow, right? If that's all it takes, son, to make you happy and make you feel complete and make you feel like you have gotten all that you deserve is a party, well, how simple that would be. He said, you've never done that for me. And I've been a servant or a slave. I've I have slaved here all of my life. And, and there's not one thing you've done for me. And so so he doesn't number one, he's not being he's not being honest in that. Let me just think about this for a moment in perspective. What did God do globally to bring the young boy home? It's in a famine. And it wasn't just a famine. It was a severe famine. What did that young young lad who got away with everything, what did that young lad, what did he suffer? Well, the Bible says that he was so hungry when he had no money, he had nothing left, there was no one to help him. He'd walk in, he'd walked and wandered far away from God and he began to suffer and he was degraded. And he went out to, to the Gentiles and he was out with the pigs and he had to feed the pigs, and what an ungodly thing in that day. And he suffered, and he suffered, and he was hungry, and he was starving, and then he realized something. I can do one of two things. I can stay out here and eat what these pigs are eating and defile myself even further, or I can humble myself and go back home and say, God or Father, I have sinned against you and I'm sorry and brother the beauty is that's that's all that it, that God is looking for is for his children to come to the point in our lives where we humble ourselves and we are willing to repent of the sins that we've committed in our past and in our present but he couldn't see it He couldn't see it. Repentance would not have brought him joy. Or the fact that his brother had repented did not bring joy. He had no joy. He struggled. He struggled. And I think that's a very good indicator in the text that tells us when we have sin in our hearts that we refuse to repent of, or maybe we don't recognize, maybe that's what's zapping our joy. Because we can't see the good of being fed every single day. I'm going to pretend like it's in our day. Three meals a day. He might have had dessert too. Every single day. You were the boss every single day. You went out to the field. I know that with the hired the, the servants. But you didn't earn any of it. It's your father's business. And every single day, in essence... You have a party every single day. In fact, there's so much food, I'm sure there are many times that his brothers 
the older brother, had his friends over every now and then just to kind of hang out. Or maybe he brought food to them. But what he didn't realize was his blessings, his continual blessings every single day. Instead, he said, Father, you've never given me a party. And I did everything right. And I wonder in our Christian journey, in our Christian walk, if we sometimes fail to see the blessings that we that are before us, that we are experiencing every single day. And then we blame God for not throwing us a party. Think about that. Right? I mean, thank you, God, for today. And then Jesus said that. He said, Today is the day of salvation. Right now is the time. Today is a day of salvation. Perhaps in your heart you have found that maybe you haven't rejoiced in the day and you need to go to God in prayer and ask for forgiveness. Perhaps you found yourself bitter because of this situation, this pandemic, and you haven't seen the blessings. Maybe tonight you could look at all the blessings and write them down and think about all the goodness that God has brought into your life through this pandemic. Today is the day. Today is the day. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, and a participation. We really appreciate it. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you, Lord willing, on Sunday.